Hello, hello, everyone, and welcome to Beyond Ethical Season 2, Episode 1. Uh, we are your new hosts. My name is Ryan. And my name is Emily. And on today's episode, we will be interviewing Professor Braun, who is a communications and advertising professor at Calvin University. He was a former chief uh, creative director at various big name companies. And we were just talking about him with his career experience and advice he has to offer. So we hope you enjoyed today's episode. And, and here, here we, we go. go. Hi, Professor Braun. I just wanted to thank you for joining us on today's episode of Beyond Ethical Podcast. Um, I guess for starters, just to jump right in, I was wondering, could you give us a high-level introduction of yourself and your background? Wow. Okay. Uh, first of all, I'm glad to be here. And I love that this program that you guys are putting together. And a little bit about myself. So I am the director of the uh, Master's Student Media Agency at Calvin in their graduate program. And I'm also an adjunct professor of advertising and advertising strategy. And I am relatively new to teaching because I'm recently retired. I'm the former DP global chief creative officer for Chevrolet. And uh, I'm happy to be here. Awesome. I'm good. So um, can you talk more? You said you were uh, a leading officer for um, well, marketing and advertising for Chevy. So can you talk um, more how you got to, I mean, Chevy's a big name client. Can you talk about how, um, you know, you got into marketing for them and, and stuff like that? Because that's not something that you can just, um, you know, like run into. That's a good question. Uh, everything is like a chain reaction. And I guess I would say for students, they often think that, you know, the path to success is like a straight line. And I'm telling you, give yourself some slack. It's not a straight line. It's a zigzag, right? Mm -hmm. It's more like this. It's not like this. Right. And what that means is you want to give yourself an opportunity to have different experiences and take different chances and expose yourself to different kinds of people and different kinds of companies. But also my trajectory to Chevrolet, uh, previously I was the executive creative director of Hyundai's agency. And before that, I was the group creative director of Toyota's agency. And in between, I was, uh, I think, executive creative director of Lincoln, and, and which was attached to Ford. So everything was a chain reaction. So uh, and, uh, I think there was a combination of uh, me being eager and hardworking and, and ready to grasp opportunities, but also a lot of luck. Uh, I'm very clear in my mind that uh, I've been a blessed person in my life. And so, for example, the for Toyota became the CEO of Ford. So there was that connection there. Or the uh, and another director of marketing at Toyota also became the global chief marketing officer of uh, GM, which obviously Chevrolet is part of GM. Mm -hmm. And she wasn't there when I was there, but there are all these multiple connections that this kind of fit together like a big puzzle. Uh, so maybe that's a little indirect, but I hopefully that answered your question to some extent is if you have opportunities as you go along and learn from every person that you can. So in other words, if there's a smart person when I was young and when I was entering the business, I would always try and listen to them and draw out their thoughts and, and hear their perspectives. And you never know where they end up and the whole Chevrolet thing 
is, is a combination of probably 12 points of beginning of my career. And who knew, right? But they all just interconnected and kind of snowballed. Mm-hmm. Mm. That's good. Yeah, I think it's a lot of times it's like really hard to um, understand that the road is not linear. I liked, I liked how you're saying it's, it's going to be bumpy and it's going to have ups and it's going to have downs, but you just got to, you know, you just got to keep, keep plugging forward. Mm-hmm. It's so. really not. Like I would encourage anyone, any young graduate, give yourself permission to try different things, experiment mm-hmm. with different things. You may go to your favorite company and find out, guess what? It's not your favorite company. You may go to something that you think is your plan B and you realize, guess what? It's actually fantastic, right? Mm-hmm. Like give yourself permission to uh, adapt and evolve and receive all of those things in different ways because it really is like this. It, even to this day, people in the business reach out to me for advice or consultation or perspective. Mm-hmm. And they they still think it went like this. And I have to tell <laughs> them, no, it went like this. It was a zigzag. <laughs> They've seen that way, but it was a zigzag. Right. Mm, that's great. I'm curious, Professor Braun, so what is your educational background? And I guess how, coming from college, did you jumpstart your early career? Uh, there's a short version and there's a long version. <laughs> <laughs> Can you give us so- the in-between? <laughs> <laughs> The, so the short version is I did my undergrad at uh, University of Oregon, and then I went back and got another bachelor's degree at the Art Center College of Design in Los Angeles. Mm-hmm. And I'll, I'll try and give you the short version is <laughs> when I finished my first undergrad degree, I had a great background in, you know, core subjects and uh, literature and liberal arts in general. But what I didn't have, didn't have professional skills. And that was a challenge. And it, the types of companies where I wanted to work, the types of industries that I wanted to work in were not open to me, unfortunately. So uh, I had to go to school all over again to a very focused, rigorous program. Now, I'm biased, and maybe you guys are biased too. I happen <laughs> to think that uh, something like the Calvin's MMSC program kind of combines those things, right? In terms of having sort of the rigorous academics of Calvin, but also having much more uh, practical, applicable industry learnings. And I didn't have access to that back then. So uh, as I say, I went to, went to school twice. Mm. <laughs> nice. So I guess like after um, schooling and stuff, how did you start your early career? So what company did you work for and what was your experience there? And I guess from that point, how did you move forward? I started at Ogilvy, Ogilvy and Mather in LA. And once again, an outsider would look at that and say, wow, like you started at the top, but at the time didn't feel like the top. And (laughs) I was not mature enough to see it for what it was and I was, I hated it. I was there for eight months and I hated it. I was so frustrated because I wasn't doing the kind of work I thought I was going to be doing or that I wanted to be doing. And I was working on this weird software account that I thought was boring and not exciting called Microsoft. (laughs) (laughs) I, but I had a wonderful learning from that whole experience because uh, there was a older art director there and who probably had years and years and years of experience. And let's just call her Barb. And she was so angry and bitter and frustrated and disenchanted 
And I had been there, literally I was right out of school and one of my closest friends at the agency said, wow, Greg, you sound just like Bart. And it was a real eye opener for me because I realized I, that's not the way I wanted to go through life. And that's not the way I wanted mm -hmm. to manage my career. And that's not the way I wanted to interact with the people that i worked with. So I, I completely changed my mentality at that point. If I'm working on the worst project, I'm going to find a way to make something out of it, or I'm going to find a way to be interested in it, or I'm going to find a way to engage in it. And if there's some tiny little aspect of it that I can innovate that nobody cares about but me, then I'm going to try and do that too. And I'm going to try and be a good partner, and I'm going to try and be a good collaborator, and I'm going to try and be a good agent of this company, whatever company that I represent. And it kind of completely flipped the switch for me. Things really started to happen. So I think in a weird way, my own immaturity was holding me back. Mm. Sure. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, it's always good to, I liked what you said about, you know, making sure you can be the, you know, the best of, of what you can per project. And then also, um, you know, just, you know, making something that may seem like tedious or boring to others, just, you know, find something that you like in it and just, you know, give your all into it. I really like that. Um, I like the way you say that. I mean, I, I try and say it as, uh, how you do anything is how you do everything. Hmm. Yeah. So if it's the smallest thing, then think of your own personal standard and try and do it the best you possibly can. And guess what? It's going to lead to opportunity because that will be seen, that will be known, that will be recognized and also set the standard for yourself and uh, doors start to open. Hmm. Yeah, I like that. That's so um, so you talked about how you went to um, college for, yeah, uh, design and arts, I believe. Um, so did you always want to be a commercial maker or in advertising or did that kind of just, um, just like work into, uh, stuff that you were doing? So I feel like I have a good story here. To me, it's a good story. I hope it's a good story <laughs> to you and your listeners. Let's hear it. So when I went to the Art Center College of Design in LA and I already had a, a bachelor's degree, uh, in journalism and visual arts, and I thought I was either going to be a graphic designer or an illustrator. And my entire life growing up in Portland, Oregon, I was always the best drawer that anyone had ever known. And when I went to Art Center in my first week, not only was I not the best, I was the worst. Like I was <laughs> the worst in class. And the professor took me aside and he said, not only do you have no future as an illustrator, you're not really even going to pass this class. Wow. And it was such a shock for me. And I realized if I, I knew I wanted to do something creative, so I realized I'm going to have to do something creative that's not just my hands, but it's also my brain. Hmm. So I switched to graphic design and I enjoyed it because there was a marketing aspect to it in, in addition to an artistic and a craft uh, aspect to it. And uh, there was a, a girl that I liked that was taking advertising courses and I had no interest in advertising, but I would take these advertising classes just so I could follow this girl around. And in the process of it, I, I fell in love with advertising. I realized that's what I wanted to do because it was on a much larger scale because you're helping to build the brand. And also, uh, I married the girl. Uh, we're still married, happily married to this day. Uh, I now have, a, we now have a 17 year old daughter who's looking at colleges herself. And so not only was, well, from every perspective, uh, taking those advertising classes was the best decision I ever made. 
Hmm. Wow. Nice. Yeah. That. <laughs> That's crazy how things happen like that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. Nice. Professor Braun, throughout your career, do you have, I guess, a commercial that you're very proud of um, or something that you've achieved or any project? And why, why is that something that you're very proud of? I think uh, you ask if there's anything I've done in the commercial world that I'm very proud of. And I think there's, there's several things. And, uh, you know, one of the interesting things about the advertising industry is let's say you were a film director, you know, if you were super successful, and I'm certainly not comparing myself to a film director, but maybe you do 15 films, but in our business, you do hundreds, right? Because they're in small increments. So when I think about commercials I've done, et cetera, it's, it's literally hundreds because there's these small bite-sized pieces. But if I think of things that were meaningful to me, you know, a lot of stuff on the Super Bowl, uh, that was always really fun and really gratifying. And it was uh, exciting to work on that stage on behalf of my clients. Um, if there was something that stands out, it would probably be something much smaller. And it was a, uh, a poster campaign that I did for the ACLU. And it was an anti-racism campaign. And perhaps it might be something that I could send you guys if that's something that's relevant for this. Sure. But uh, it's interesting because I, I did it so long ago. And I did it uh, all the way back in the early 2000s. And I would have thought that it wouldn't be relevant today. Myself back then in the early 2000s would have thought it would be irrelevant. And unfortunately, it's still relevant uh, mm-hmm. because racism still exists. And we're still counting on organizations like the ACLU and other organizations to help stand against that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. I'm surprised. I for some reason I thought that maybe um, a commercial for the Super Bowl would have been your biggest achievement. But <laughs> that's great that it's a smaller a smaller project, but you know a bigger meaning to you. So I'm curious when it comes to the uh, Super Bowl, um, what I mean that's a really big platform and you're competing against some of the top companies. How do you make your commercial stand out among the other commercials? What is something that you you would advise? That's a really good question. And here's the thing about the Super Bowl. It's so scary because if you do great, the whole world knows it. And if you do terrible, the whole world knows it. Mm-hmm. Every commercial is ranked. So if you tank, like, that's mm-hmm. bad. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> you know, I'm not trying to be melodramatic, but uh, people who have tanked on the Super Bowl, uh, it's unfortunately sometimes it costs them their career, right? Mm-hmm. So the stakes are very high. Um, and interestingly, some of my, my favorite stuff that I've done is not the celebrity stuff. Uh, nothing against celebrities, but it's really hard to work with celebrities. And there's <laughs> all kinds of complications. How, let's just say that. There are, there are incredible complications working with celebrities. And some of them you'd expect, and some of them you would be shocked. And my favorite stuff is not the stuff about celebrities, at least in terms of what I've done. And I think I always tried to find a way to tell real stories, like human stories, like relatable stories. It should be something in my mind that a consumer and audience is able to look at and say, you know what, that's true. Or you know what, I see myself in that. Or you know what, I see my dad in that. Or you know what, I see my brother and sister in that. And so that's the kind of stuff that meant the most to me. Hmm. Hmm. So throughout your time of um, making commercials, you know, for big companies and small companies, was there ever a time where you were 
um, I don't know, doubting yourself or thinking like, man, maybe I chose the wrong path or I don't know how I'm going to, you know, make it. Um, and if there was, can you, you know, give some detail into that and then maybe have some advice for people that, um, could be going through that right now or will go through that in the future? So one of the things I would say is give yourself permission to fail. And if I look at Calvin's students and you guys are as a whole, uh, you guys know this very smart, probably the smart, accomplished and leaders back in high school. And so you're probably not used to failing. Maybe you're not comfortable with failing. And I would say uh, as you go out into the world, you you have to not only accept it, but you have to embrace it. Because if you're not failing, you're not trying hard enough. If you're not failing, you're not taking risks. If you're not failing, you're not doing the kinds of things that no one's ever seen before. You're not innovating. So give yourself permission to fail. Now, it doesn't mean failing irresponsibly, right? Like saying, you know, my client wanted something that's, uh, you know, showcasing our new flagship vehicle. And I decided to film a bicycle instead, right? Like you can't do that. (laughs) Right. But I am saying push yourself to be innovative, push yourself to think out of the box, push yourself to have the ideas that someone else hasn't done. And in the process, you're going to fail a lot. Uh, But the people in the business who are the most successful are the people who take risks and learn from that process. And, you know, I would say I've had tons of failures. I've had tons of bad ideas, but every good idea I've had is built on a mountain of bad ideas. But what you see in the Super Bowl that's the good one. And I could not have gotten to it if I hadn't built a mountain of bad ideas, right? right? Like mm-hmm. shamefully embarrassing bad ideas, but it was part of the process that allowed me to get here, right? Mm-hmm. And so you have to understand that failure is a process, it's part of the process. Mm-hmm. I like that. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's me good too. advice. Yeah, That reminds me of something you used to say in class, Professor Braun, when, when I took advertising with you, but you would always say, you know, good is the enemy of great. And that has stuck with me to this day. Um, is there a moment in time, maybe a commercial or project you've been working on, there, where that really stuck with you? And, you know, you were like, oh, this is great or this is good, but it could be better. You know, what what, what is an experience for you? Uh, <clears throat> that's a great question. So I want to try and think of the best example. I don't know if this is the best example or not, but good is the enemy of great. And so we were doing a campaign uh, to launch Hyundai as the sponsor of FIFA World Cup. And the scenario and the story occurs in Spain. It was based on a true story in Spain. And, you know, there's a reason LA is Hollywood because they have they have versions of Spain on backlots, right? Like we could go to a universal backlot and recreate Spain and movies do it all the time, TV shows do it all the time. And we worked really hard to shoot it in Spain with Spanish actors and Spanish environments and Spanish locations. And I don't know if that's the best example, but it would have been good enough, right? We could have gone to a backlot. It would have been good enough. If you're looking at, you know, an old sitcom and if you see the characters go to Spain, that's what they use, right? It would have been good enough, but we mm-hmm. wanted it to be authentic. We wanted it because it was a World Cup and because it was a launch, uh, we wanted it to be perfect. So we didn't want someone pretending to be Spanish just because they could speak Spanish. We didn't want a street looking like Spain just because it kind of looked like Spain. Mm-hmm. Uh, so 
that was an example. I guess I would say like sweat the details, right? Like every yeah. detail counts. Yeah. Yeah. You always can go the the short and easy route, but sometimes it doesn't give you the, the real product that you want. And mm-hmm. um, yeah, so I, I admire that, that you, you know, always go the extra mile and, and make sure that something can be the best that it, that it can be. So I'll give you one more example is, you know, anytime in a car commercial where you're doing stunt work, is you could just do it in CG, right? You could do like Fast and the Furious and you could have a like a basically a CG car doing, and it's not as good because the way the land, the vehicle lands is not natural. The way the tire spin is not natural. The way it, it, it kicks up dust or fibers or dirt is not natural. So it's, that would be good enough, but it's, but good's the enemy of great, right? If like you really want to connect with the audience, if you really want it to be visceral and real and resonant and relevant, then you want to go the extra mile and try and do it for real, right? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, going off that. So it sounds like, um, you know, obviously you want to make the best products, um, but sometimes that can be, you know, pretty time consuming. So how, how do you, or how did you manage um, the work-life balance when you were, um, doing these, you know, high, high octane commercials and advertising stuff for um, big companies? You know, I was afraid you'd ask me that. <laughs> <laughs> it's not easy. And I actually don't have the best answer, but at least I have an optimistic, uh, optimistic answer. As I was building my career, I always had the mindset of all in whatever it takes. And you know, if I'm being, and that was the only way I knew how to do it. And if I'm being honest with myself, I probably, uh, I didn't have a work-life balance and I probably Mm -hmm. missed a lot of things that I didn't want to miss. And it cost me in certain ways. Uh, and so I'm super glad that my family was always there for me and supportive of that. But, uh, I don't know that I was always there as much as I wanted to be or should have been. But I, the optimistic news is I think uh, it's it's changing, and mm-hmm. it's changing because people are understanding that there's there are psychological, spiritual, and physical benefits of having a balance. It's changing because uh, people like you are going into the industry who have more uh, modern sensibilities about work-life balance, and it's also changing. And, and so COVID has been an incredibly uh, tragic event for the country. Uh, But if there was some small good thing that came out of it is it's forced companies to kind of rethink and it's forced professionals to rethink what their values are. Mm -hmm. And I don't, I don't think people will go back to work as first, second and third, right? I think people have realized the hard way that things like, you know, family and, and community and fellowship and all of those things are are really indelible right now mm-hmm. and a lot of people have taken a good hard look at their priorities so i think i think that's going to permeate the professional world and i think there will be a lot more focus and discussion uh, about work-life balance than there was previously so and that's a good thing yeah mm. yeah i think so too Mm-hmm. Yeah. talked about ethics um, and maybe some values that the world is going to prioritize after COVID. I guess in your past um, and in your future, what are some virtues or values that you really hold close to your heart and how do you live those out? I think one of the things I always try and do uh, in the business of advertising is you want to respect your consumer. So you don't want to 
you never you don't want to trick them you don't want to propose something that's not honest you don't want to assault them with content that they don't want or don't care about or don't respect right you want to respect your consumer and i think you also i always try and not hijack the consumer but show them what they're interested in right show your product or your message or communication in the context that they actually care about not that i care about not that the brand cares about what the consumer already cares about right like what are the things that matter to them and then let's use that for a basis of conversation so hmm. it's a little bit of a uh, it's a little bit corny but i like to say you know people hate advertising but they love the truth right mm -hmm. so let's try and find the truth let's try and find the truth about the product or the brand or the initiative or the service yeah 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 and i mean you show some of your um yeah your ethics in in the just that one example of the anti-racism ad um and stuff like that so and i think a lot of psychology or a lot of um advertising can is all psychology too it's like how can we get the buyer to buy this but i think it's it's good that um you know to to make sure that you're not just using the the people to get get money um like you said you're giving them the truth and ho hopefully that'll get them to get the um you know the product itself mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so yeah i i and i'm with you and look there are reams of examples of bad advertising right and you don't need me to tell you what it is because we've all seen it everyone's seen it uh but that's why what you guys do and I, when i say you guys i mean calvin graduates as you go out into the world you're going to be the leaders you're going to be the leaders mm -hmm. of, of the media world and so it's you don't want to uh, scare consumers. You want to inform them. You don't want to trick consumers. You want to interest them. You don't want to uh, barrage consumers. You want to have a conversation with them, right? So it all starts with respect. So know who your audience is and then find the ways to respect them. What do they care about? And then use that as your basis of conversation as opposed to something artificial. Right. Yeah, that's good. Mm -hmm. Interesting. Um, I guess to wrap it up, yeah. Um, we have one final question for you. Um, what does redemptive advertising look like to you, or what does that mean to you? And how would you practice that in your career? See, I think it means trying to find a way to be honest with the consumer, uh, trying not to manipulate the consumer, trying not to hijack the consumer, uh, trying to create messaging and content that pertains to the interests they already have uh trying to respect their values uh and then using those abilities to promote businesses but also promote causes also promote initiatives um i guess i would say that you know anyone in communication major at Calvin or at other schools, you know, that's a big responsibility, right? Because they're going to be sort of uh, purveyors of mass media, right? Mm -hmm. And we've all seen how that can be done irresponsibly. Mm -hmm. uh, so it's really important. It's crucially important to have you guys. And when I say you guys, I mean, all Calvin graduates, uh, as you go out in the world, it's, it's, it's on you. It's your responsibility, right? So it's not some person in an ivory tower somewhere. It's it's 
you, it's us, right? So we have mm -hmm. to be in those rooms. We have to be in those boardrooms. We have to be in those meetings. We have to be the ones who raise our hands and say, uh, yes, this is our objective from a business perspective, but how we go about it has to adhere to certain personal standards, right? Or, right. or communal standards or societal standards. And when you do see good things happen, uh, it's not an accident, right? It's like you, and when I say you, I mean Calvin graduates uh, or any other graduates from any other schools that have an ethical mindset. But it's, it's your responsibility, it's my responsibility to be the person in that room that raises their hand. And I think that in my opinion, uh, business in a free market society can be, it's a good thing. Uh, but it has to be done and conducted in a certain way. Uh, marketing is a good thing, but it has to be done and conducted in a certain way. And it's, it's not an accident, right? It's going to be people like you who are in that room who make sure that it is. Mm. Right. Yeah. That's a really good point. Yeah. Because mm -hmm. I think um, we were kind of talking about this in one of my classes this week was like, anything can be created for good, but it's more about how the user uses it. Because it could be, you know, like nothing's created inherently bad, you know, I mean, there's some things obviously, but, <laughs> but it's like, it's, it, it's all up to the user and, and the people that are using it and the intent it's used for. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So I think that's a really good point. Yeah. I think what I really appreciated about your answer was, you know, you have to be the person to raise your hand and say, oh, you know, like that's not right. Or we should do it this way. I think it's really hard even just to speak up in a professional setting. And so I think raising your voice and yeah, and speaking up for those who maybe, you know, don't have the voice to stand up for themselves is really important. So I, I really appreciate what you said about that. Well, I'll give you guys a little bit of a support for that perspective because it sounds a bit daunting. Uh, but put yourself in a situation where you have the expertise, you have the talent, you understand the business or marketing problem. And I always say that uh, clients don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. So be invested in it. But then once you position yourself and give yourself uh, an empowered voice based on building that foundation for yourself, then you're in a position to be an advocate for ethical practice, right? Mm -hmm. So it doesn't mean coming in there and waving your arms around and, and standing on the table. It means putting yourself in a position where you have all those tools as your foundation and then you have an empowered voice. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Awesome. Do you have any more questions? No, that's it. Thank all you so right. much for, yeah, you answered our questions very thoroughly and yeah, I just wanted to thank you for your, thank you for your time and willingness to come on here and um, yeah, help out some people and, and yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and share with us. I mean, yeah, I was right. really excited yeah. to get to talk to you again um, because I thought you were so cool in class. And so, yeah, thank you again for your time. I know you're a very busy person, so we appreciate you joining us for today's episode. It's very kind of you to say so. And uh, this was really fun. And I, I love this format that you guys are creating. And uh, yeah, but hopefully we get to do it again. Yeah. Yeah. Great. Already. Good. Enjoy the rest and of your day. For big props oh. to you guys for dealing with all like you know my, this bad connection and. Uh, <laughs> so. But you yeah, know, like, like your your adaptability, like that's a really good sign because you'll be in the business and like something will happen. You know, it's like if you're on location, every time a plane flies over, it ruins the whole take, right? Mm. Because of the audio. Oh yeah. So, your adaptability and your flexibility and your kind of positive attitude is like mm -hmm. all, those are all the tools that you'll need out in the business in whatever 
form that you choose to pursue it. So yeah. uh, imp I'm impressed with you guys. <laughs> oh, we appreciate that. Yeah. yeah. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. Well, we hope you enjoy the rest of your day. And um, yeah, I hope you yeah. listen to the podcast when it airs too. So yeah. already, thank you, Professor Braun. Thanks, guys. Bye. All right. So I think my biggest takeaway was I really liked how he mentioned um, that the journey is not linear. I think that's one of the big things for me, just, um, you know, outside of entrepreneurship, just in life, that just everything's not going to be a straight path. Um, it's, it's not always going to be easy. Um, there's going to be bumps and there's going to be highs and lows and things that are thrown from nowhere. Um, but there's also going to be blessings too. Um, mm. So I think that's just a, a good thing to keep in mind. And then I also liked how he said um, the client won't care how much you know until um, they know how much you care. Mm. Um, <laughs> mm -hmm. And just like even, you know, for anyone out there that's starting a business is like if you're trying to get a client, if you're just telling them this is what I can do for you and, you know, this is why I want to do it, it's much better than just being like, these are my skills. You know, you want to... Um, you want to get to know them first and make sure that you guys will be a good fit because you're after all you are working together. Mm -hmm. um, so I thought that was just a good perspective to keep in mind, um, you know, for entrepreneurship or just um, just friends in general, you know. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. No, he had so much wisdom to share with us. He was he's such a cool man. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. I think something that I really took away was he said, if you're not failing, you're not trying hard enough. Mm -hmm. And that was something where I was like, wow, you know, like, yeah. I think I'm I'm a person who's so scared of failure because I don't want to mess up. You know, I'm going to let myself down, my friends down, my family down. Mm -hmm. But I think it's, you know, being in those ruts or in those lows where you really appreciate the highs and where you can learn from your mistakes. I think that's where the biggest growth happens. And so it was really good. Just another reminder for him to say that. Yeah. Again. But yeah, failures. Failure can be a defining moment, but it's mm -hmm. all about how you bounce back. Because mm -hmm. if you let it, if you let it define you, then you will fail. But if not, then you can, like he said, you can use it to eventually succeed. It might just take a lot. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. It'll take work. <laughs> yeah, but you'll get there. Oh yeah. So. Alrighty. Well, that's it for today's episode of Beyond Ethical. Thank you guys for joining, and we will see you next time. Bye. Bye. <laughs>